As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, and sportsmen drag racing. Big Jed, let's take the listeners to, I mean, where else would we go? Let's go to Vegas. Oh, look, that's where you, everybody wants to be. That's uh, Sin City, Good Time Central. And uh, man, we got some killer stuff that's happened in Vegas over the last couple of weeks, but the most recent week produced a lot more drama and some champions in NHRA sportsman drag racing. That's cool. We'll get to talk about that. And some big buck bracket racing at some uh, fairly local tracks here in the southeast. We got a lot on the, on the table to talk about today. The strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway was the center of sportsman drag racing attention last weekend, and it is thus the center of our show. We've got three champions crowned. It's over, like officially, <laughs> really, truly over. And the lead changed hands in three different NHRA sportsman categories, four yet to be decided at Pomona. We got a lot to discuss. We got a lot to break down. But first, P.J. North. Jed, we are NHRA heavy this week. Yeah, as we should be, Luke, uh, you know, no offense to the bracket racers out there, but what's happening on the NHRA side of things uh, is pretty darn exciting. I mean, it really is. These these points chases, uh, some of them settled, but some of them coming down to the last possible opportunity to score. Yeah, we, there, we got a little bit of bracket action to get to. There wasn't a whole lot that went on last week, and it's kind of all centered around one state. We'll get to that, so hang tight, but yeah, the... <laughs> The season finale along the NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, the last divisional event of the year, traditionally held at, at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, as it was last weekend. And Jed, this is an event that delivers every year. You know, I mean, it's the last race. People converge from all over the country with shots at a championship and championships are made. Dreams are lost. Like there's high drama every year. But this particular Vegas, just watching from the outside, this seemed different. It felt like it was next level. I mean, there were, of the seven categories, Jed, that we typically talk about here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, coming into Vegas, none of the championships had been decided. Nothing was locked up. And even now, 
as we head into now the, the last national event of the season this weekend at Pomona, only three of the seven have been clinched. There's still four up for grabs at Pomona. It's just incredible when you zoom out and think of the year in totality. There have been 40-plus divisional events, 20-plus national events coming into last weekend leading up to that division series finale. And yet the lead changed hands in Las Vegas in three different categories at that last race of the year. And that wasn't even all the drama. It was pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, Luke, it's been a blast. You know, what's so, I guess, fun for me is that some of these categories, seemingly there was a racer with a stranglehold at some point during the year, and they're not even in the picture in some of these chases. These late runs, this travel across the country, make events that's not even anywhere close to your area in hopes of chasing down this championship. It's uh, it's incredible to watch every year, but this year does seem just a little bit different. You know, the the players are facing one another here and there in absolutely key rounds. I mean, at the most important time, they can face one another. This these points chases have it all. This season is a little bit different, and I love it coming down to the last event. I hate it for the people that get the kick in the gut and the heartbreak and come up short, but the ones that persevere and get it done man what a what a cool victory that is for those racers and we've got several championships to be decided in this last event Luke and it's going to be a blast to watch it play out man you're a hundred percent right because obviously the season's long a lot can change but you can go back you know just the years that we've been doing this show when when we make our mid-season predictions I say that we're always right but it's normal. You generally got a pretty good idea of what's going on when we hop in here in June or July. And in the majority of classes, not only was the favorite in, in June and July cycled around and, and, and probably no longer the favorite now, it feels like we have picked a different favorite, maybe two, and they've been cycled back around to the bottom. Like it's just been this constantly evolving thing in so many classes. And as I've told you and, and, and our listeners before, for I've never been a huge live feed fan. Like I just have a hard time getting into it. And part of it is when I'm home, like I just, I, I want to be home, right? And that's changed a little bit more recently. My kids seem to to love the live feed. So that they they tend to, to turn it on when nothing's going on and it'll occasionally suck me in. There was a, a span on Sunday afternoon, Jed, that probably went for a good 90 minutes where it seemed like every class that came to the starting line in Las Vegas had, you know, it's fourth, fifth round. And every seemingly, seemingly every class had a matchup that round where like, this could determine the world championship. And I just couldn't look away. Like I was locked in. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Those are, I mean, that's what you're wanting. That's what you need to see. That's what keeps everyone excited. You know, I'm, I'm not a guy that, uh, that follows the NHRA side nearly as close but I'm I'm living through your breakdowns and the results that that you give us all during the show. And, uh, you know, I'm jacked right now and I really need to figure out how I can watch some of this play out myself in Pomona because I'm I'm definitely interested. You know, it's not it's not been my thing for for my racing career, this side of the, the spectrum. But I'm super excited about these points championships and hopefully as we've wound this down in the last several shows, our listeners are in the same boat I'm in because it's uh, it's cool stuff. Uh, we will turn the page. We'll look ahead to Pomona. And by the time you listen to this, that, that race will be off and running in earnest. Before we do, let's take a look back at Las Vegas. And I think the most logical place to start, there was high drama in several classes, but nothing more dramatic than Supercomp. We talked about this a week ago. We felt like Austin Williams had a comfortable lead coming in. He'd, he'd put up a score that maybe, you know, isn't, isn't typically the, the number that wins the championship, but it, he was well ahead. I liked his odds, right? Few, a handful of racers had mathematical chances coming in, but by round four, it was whittled down to the most obvious subjects. It was Austin was leading and out of the race. He couldn't earn points there to begin with. 
John LaBoose Jr. had to win the race to overtake Austin. Jim Glenn had to win round five to overtake Austin. And if he was able to do that, Jim Glenn and John LaBoose Jr. were on opposite sides of the ladder. If Glenn won round five, he would clinch, regardless of if LaBoose went on to win the race or not. Again, Jim Glenn had to win round five to win the world. Guess what Jim Glenn did, Big Jed? Won the damn round. <laughs> won the damn round in <laughs> in clutch fashion. I mean, we'll we'll go through Jim Glenn's day weekend, but his season. I mean, he started off red hot, looked like a champion. Was it? I mean, he won the first race of the year in Pomona, right? He he was a championship contender throughout. Mid season trailed off a little bit, particularly as it got close to the end. I don't want to say disappeared. He was always a threat, but Austin keeps winning, keeps distancing himself. And, and Jim Glenn is the, the events that he was going too late. He couldn't get any traction, couldn't get anything rolling. And it looked, you know, the, the typical story, you, you start well or you end well. It's just hard to sustain it for the whole year. And here it was last chance, last opportunity. And not only does he do exactly what he needed to do to to ultimately clinch the championship, it was really impressive throughout. I, I think first round he had a lot of room and went like like nine ten. Um, after that, the next uh, what five rounds of competition, he matched the nine oh five index every single round until he lost in the semifinals, where I believe he went nine oh four eight. And from the outside, again, like the bracket racer and all of you listening, go, so we went that on five rounds in a row. Like, how big a deal is that? Like, A, it's super comp. Like, you don't get to pick the dial in. That that adds a level of difficulty. B, it's at Las Vegas. And it's just a tr- tricky place. It's a really hard place to go dead on. And it looked like he had the best car there and knew exactly how to use it. And then performance on the starting line, like, I think, honestly, clutch and what you would expect in that situation in that I think the last thing you want to do, particularly in a quarter mile index race where we're and particularly at Vegas, where things tend to get a little bit sloppier, like it's not often that you're going to see a sub 10 package in the other lane. Like, I don't think it. You, the last thing you want to do in that instance is turn it red with the championship on the line. So I don't expect you to turn on a bunch of double O's. Jim Glenn was teen every hit except one. The The round to determine the championship was the one round that he missed it slightly. He's 30. Other than that, he's teen and dead on every lap in, in quarter mile super comp competition. I'd take that. Yeah, very solid, Luke. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good box score anytime. The, the, the first race in the middle of the season with what Jim had on the line and that kind of pressure that's uh that's an incredible performance and anybody that doesn't see it for what it is 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 looking uh with uh, uh obviously an, an unclear view of it that's um that kind of pressure is immeasurable you know you you you're fighting for this all year you're down to this quote unquote final opportunity and you know, you've got, you don't have slouches in the other lane, Luke. I mean, you, you've got tough competitors that you know well in the other lane and they're trying to, to win the round, not necessarily kill your dreams, but in essence, that's what it's going to do if you don't come up with a win and he's laying down dead on run after dead on run. And then the, the 048 off the five, that's a, that's an amazing performance on Jim's part. And this will be a, a championship that, he will cherish, he'll cherish any championship, but he'll cherish this one knowing he flat earned it. Without question, I don't want to put words into Jim Glenn's mouth. Like at some point, hopefully we can get him on the show to, to, to tell his own story. But I think it's fair to say, and this is not to belittle anything that Jim Glenn's done. I mean, just look at, he's, he's won national events. Look at this season, right? Multi-time national event winner. He wins the, um, the, the race for a car at the Spring Fling Vegas. That's a no split final. Like that's a huge high pressure round in saying all of that. I think it is very fair to say just having lived this on some level. Jim Glenn's never experienced anything like Sunday at Vegas. Like that is a whole different, I know monetarily, financially, it, it, it doesn't compare. That's a whole different world to, to roll to the staging lanes, knowing that you are about to stage up for the round that win that round, you are going to be the world champion, lose that round. And you are not, that's unreal pressure. And to know that 
that is coming all day long. Like obviously every round leads up to that. You don't get there if you don't win the the, the rounds up to that point. It's tremendous pressure. And and I think to your point, just further highlights how impressive it is to put forth the performance that he did. Absolutely an earned championship. Yeah, definitely. Congrats to Jim. That's uh that was uh a big time pressure moment and uh in that round five and and to accomplish that and the ultimate goal in the process is uh is a memory that'll last a lifetime loop can no only question. imagine how that felt and the the drama like so you could t- cut the tension with a knife because obviously jim glenn ends up getting it done meanwhile john labuse jr is just busy doing his job right i told you coming in Assuming that Jim Glenn didn't improve enough to pass Austin Williams, LaBoose had to win the race to win the world championship. They're on opposite sides of the ladder. He can't control anything that Jim Glenn's doing. LaBoose just steadily chugging through the field on his side of the ladder, advances all the way to the final, where eventually he turns it red to Jerron Settles. I mean, pretty impressive performance on both sides. And how I, I can empathize here just because I've I've been there, right? But how... <laughs> How rough was it to be in Austin Williams shoes on Sunday? Like you're, you're watching, you gotta, you gotta feel pretty good coming in, right? Like nothing is certain, but, and you got really talented racers on, on, on your tail, but they got to do really well, you know, against a very tough field at a tough place to race. Like you just, you like your chances and you just watch round by round when lights come on. And by the time that you get to, that fifth round, like, you know, that Jim Glenn's one win light away from surpassing you. And even if he falls, LaBoose just has to turn on three more. Like they're both certainly capable. Like it's feeling like you have to dodge bullets all the way around. And while it, it ended badly for Austin, like it could have been worse. He could have like the absolute worst case scenario is that Jim Glenn passes him, which he did. And then LaBoose goes on to win the race and knocks Austin at a second, which from a, a a psychological standpoint, like the difference between second and third, not not that big a deal. But second place gets five grand and third gets nothing right outside of a silver card. So it'd just be it'd be like pouring extra salt in the wounds. So from his standpoint, like I'm not rooting for or against anyone. But uh, if LaBoose had won, I'm like, what are the odds? Like the one dude passes you. And then the other day, like they have to do so much and they both pass you like what in the world? Right. So Austin finishes second, which kudos to him too. We'll, we'll give Austin, Austin Williams his flowers. He's obviously a, a two-time NHRA national champion, got world championships in stock eliminator and super comp. What I didn't realize until I was just digging around doing a little bit of research. This is a trivia time for you, big Jed. Okay. You know, I love this. Austin finished number two. How many times has he finished second in the world? Oh man, I should know this. Um, Two world I'm, championships. I'm going to say Austin's finished second way too much. I'm going to say this makes his fourth time. You're close. You're a little light. It's five. Oh. Five second place finished. And to your point, he's finished second a little bit too much. Finishing second once is too much. It sucks. Right. Like, I mean, it's a great accomplishment. Don't get me wrong, but it's a kick in the gut because when you get that close, like there, I don't, I don't think there's anyone that's ever finished second that didn't at some point relatively late in the season entertain realistic hopes of winning the world championship. Right. So second is a great accomplishment and also a letdown. And there's just so, it's so easy to look back and say around here, around there, like, that the, the, the difference between first and second is scant, right? And to be in that position seven different times is really incredible in and of itself because Austin's a young guy, but it just feels like odds wise, you deserve more to, to win more than twice. Right. (laughs) And and I think that's fair to say about Austin. No doubt about it. Um, And I've a little bit later in the show, I've got some trivia time for you, my friend. Oh, okay. Courtesy. Courtesy of our good friend Austin Williams. So uh, when we when we finalize our our breakdown on uh, these points championship chases, then um, a possible scenario is looming out there. And been a little while since it happened, so want to want to have a discussion about that. Oh, okay. I have a feeling you're going to trump me like before we even get into it. But I look forward to that. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. 
just a, a little uh, circle back on, on Jim Glenn. I think I had mentioned this on an, a podcast early this season when, when Jim was in the midst of his super hot streak. I, I don't know Jim Glenn particularly well. Watching him from afar is impressive because at the racetrack, like when we were out West, he was basically on that entire tour with us early in the season. And it seemed like every time I rode by his trailer, Jim Glenn is working just like, and it, I don't think anything ever particularly went wrong, but the, the level of maintenance, like the attention to detail was obvious just in passing riding by. And I thought it was, and I, and I said at the time, like, I got respect for that, right? When, when a dude like that, that is obviously putting in 110% and doing it all himself, like the majority of us do, um, and, and watching it pay off, like I, I got mad respect for that. And I just thought it was fitting keeping that in mind that the day that, that catalyzes that, that seals the deal for his world championship is the day where he matches the 905 index every freaking round at one of the trickiest places to dial in the country. Like that speaks to that guy that's paying that level of attention to detail that has been tweaking all season to make that car perfect for it all to pay off in that way. Like impressive. And also at least in, in my eyes fitting. Yeah, most definitely. It sounds like his, um, his approach worked perfect. Uh, perfectly so uh, to perfection is what i was trying to say but you know somebody that puts that kind of work and effort into their craft and their equipment you know you 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 definitely want that to pay off for them and and obviously jim has made it do that with the with the super comp national championship all right so let's hail to the champions it's over jim glenn clinched that's Super Comp World Championship with his round five victory in St. Louis. Congratulations to him. Our boy, Big Jed, go dogs. Yes, sir. Go dogs. My man, Jeremy Hancock, gets it done in top dragster. Um, got received a message from Jeremy um, thanking us for all the support and the well wishes and, and just rooting him through and uh, just genuinely a likable, lovable guy and somebody that you want to see do well. Really happy for Jeremy and the Hancock family. Um, you know, it's a big deal for, for him to, to go out West and borrow equipment and take it out there and, and go through everything he's been through to try to seal this championship and to get it done and, and pay off his efforts. Uh, was really, really a cool thing to see. So very happy for Jeremy and, uh, definitely go dogs. Jimmy Hancock is your 2022 NHRA Top Dragster World Champion. The other class, the other title that got sewed up in Las Vegas was Competition Eliminator, where Ryan Pretty outlasts the competition, earns his first NHRA World Championship as well. So those three classes, those three classes, it's over. Where it is far from over, Big Jed. Super stock. Like we could have led with this. Like it's, it's, it didn't get finalized at Vegas. So I thought that that super comp kind of rightfully took the lead, but this super stock battle, how great has this been for over a month now? Pete Diagnolo and Greg Stanfield have swapped spots back and forth multiple times atop the leaderboard and have just traded haymakers in the process back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Dagnolo took the lead, if you'll remember, with a runner-up at the points meet in St. Louis and put up a score that that looked like it wasn't typically touchable. I think he had like 677 at that point. So what did Greg Stanfield do? But then matched up with Pete B head-to-head in round four at Vegas, comes out on top of that epic head-to-head matchup, goes on to runner-up just a week ago at the Vegas national event, reclaim that top spot with a massive 691 point score. Meanwhile, all of that's going on. And while he hasn't really had a turn atop the leaderboard in recent months, Ryan McClanahan just keeps winning as well. Like keeps keep maintaining position within striking distance behind those, those top two. So we come into the Vegas points meet where McClanahan's out of races. He's there, but he's just playing blocker. He can't earn any points. Dagnolo has a shot. It's his last opportunity to earn points. I think he's improving a round three loss. Stanfield falls in round two. When that happens, in order to reclaim the lead, Pete Dagnolo has to win round four. 
Now, if that sounds familiar, it was round four a week ago where Dagnolo and Stanfield met up and winner takes the lead, right? And, and it looks to have a stranglehold on the chase. Stanfield got the nod in that matchup. Fast forward one week, Dagnolo rolls into round four once again. Once again, that is the determining round. And, and in his case, it's the last shot, right? It's his last opportunity to earn points. Win the round, you take the lead. Lose the round, you're not going to be the world champion. And who is in the other lane? But Ryan McClanahan. Trying to play spoiler, yes, but also trying to keep his own hopes alive. He's got a very vested interest in seeing Dagnolo's win light not come on. They go head to head. This time, Dagnolo gets the win, reclaims the top spot, goes back atop the leaderboard, going into Pomona. Now, unfortunately for him, he did fall the next round, but he's got 699 points, Big Jed. No one's ever lost. No one's ever put up 700 plus and not won a world championship. One person has put up 699 and failed to win the championship. Quick trivia time. Do you remember who that was? 699 and failed to win. Oh, um, Peter? Jody Lang. Oh, Jody Lang. Jody Lang put up 699. That was the year that Joe Santangelo had to win the Vegas Divisional and oh, did just yeah. that to go to like 702, I believe. So that 699 that Jody Lang put up 10 plus years ago, I believe it was 2011, is the highest score ever to not win. Bitagnolo could match that, like worst case for Pete. He's at that number, 699. There's only been one person that's ever scored that many points and not won the championship. And yet, 699 is not safe, Jed. It is, this is not over. Dagnolo's done. It's by, uh, he, he didn't enter Pomona. And my assumption is that by the time you hear this, he will be uh, comfortably in upstate New York. Okay, he's going to finish the season at 699. Right now, Greg Stanfield sits at 691 points. He can still earn points this weekend at the World Finals in Pomona. Ryan McClanahan sits at 658 points. He can still earn points this weekend at Pomona. Here's the scenario. In order to surpass Pete Dagnolo, Greg Stanfield must win round four. Sound familiar? That round four has is, is been very important in Superstock. Yeah, it years. seems that way. Stanfield has to win round four, and assuming he wins round four and loses round five, McClanahan would have to not win the race. In order for McClanahan to win the world championship, he has to win the race, and he has to not beat Greg Stanfield in the final. Okay, Win the race, and not have Stanfield beside you in the final. What is the what is the significance of round four, Luke? Is that that's typically the one that is is propelling you to Sunday? If you win that round, uh, yeah, typically, I, yeah, typically round four would be late Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening to make the semifinals on Sunday. Yeah, not not ever really sure when you're going to race. Uh, I guess you're just kind of a kind of hanging out, and then they maybe give you thirty forty minutes, morning an hour maybe. So. Yeah, sometimes they're like back-to-back, third round, fourth round, but no, it can very much be strung out, <clears throat> and it's that round where sometimes it's going to get pushed to Sunday morning, sometimes you're going to run it, like it's always on the schedule, typically, to run Saturday afternoon, yeah. evening, but particularly in a class like Superstock that's on the back end of the of the run order, um, very subject to get pushed to Sunday, so I feel like it's a it's a bit of a anxiety-inducing round to begin with because it yeah. is the round to get to Sunday. And it's kind of up in the air as to whether or not it's going to get run. And then you add in the implications of round four for the last few weeks. Yeah, that's a tough spot. It's a big spot. Yeah. And you're racing somebody that's turned on three win lights. So, you know, it's not like first or second round even. So, yeah, that that fourth round, obviously, you know, it's probably a little coincidence that it's so impactful in these categories, but there's probably a little bit of something to that as well about by, by where it falls and what it means to turn the wind light on at these events in the fourth round. So good Interesting stuff. to to note, I'd mentioned earlier, Pete Dagnolo not entered in Pomona. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly where Pete stands. Like my impression is he's got a regular job that he's probably been neglecting. <laughs> <laughs> to do all of this and it just yeah. wasn't realistic to go one more week like the flip side of that is then you're already in vegas 
it's Greg Stanfield, like enter and, and try to get in his way. But I just don't think that that's, I think my impression was it was a significant stretch for Pete to get to Vegas. He did what he needed to do. And now it's out of his hands. He's got to watch, which again, not a great feeling either <laughs> watching from home, especially when Greg Stanfield and Ryan McClanahan are tracking you down, but it will make for great drama. Yes, it most definitely will. And 699 is a, a total, I think Pete just decided probably he's willing to live with and see if that uh, gets him to the ultimate goal. And, you know, I can understand that that thought as well. So um, we'll uh, we'll see. These guys obviously have a lot on their plate, and we don't know what the ladder looks like until it gets settled. So that a lot of things still left to impact this championship chase. Um, let's just hope that everybody gets out there and races straight up and the, the best racer rises to the top and wins the championship. Jed, the lead changed hands, obviously, for the last time in Supercomp. The lead changed hands in Superstock. The lead also changed hands in Top Sportsman. Lance Abbott drove his S10 to the runner-up finish in Vegas. Vegas and on all this, all Division 7 divisionals, for that matter, get an extra round. It's a 48-car field, so it was more points to his runner-up than a traditional runner-up. Abbott takes the national points lead at 545 points. Now, he's not out of the woods. It's been a three-horse race. Like We've talked about three guys for several weeks. As we go into Pomona, it's legitimately a five-horse race. Five racers still have a, a legit, not pipe dream, like not mathematical, a real chance to win the Top Sportsman World Championship as we head into the last race. Lance Abbott is in control. Okay? He is not only the leader, um, he controls his own destiny. He's got an 11-point lead. He's improving a first-round loss at Pomona. So if he goes round for round with the others in contention, he's going to be your world champion. If he makes it to the final, regardless of who's beside him, Lance Abbott would clinch the world championship. If he makes it to the semis, he would eliminate Don Mazier's chances. He would eliminate Richard Okerman's chances. He would eliminate Ed Olpin's chances. If Lance Abbott were to lose in the semifinals, Vince Hoda would have to win the race to win the world. Simplifying it down further, if Lance Abbott wins first round, Ed Olpin or Richard Operman, Okerman would have to win the race to pass him. Don Mazier could tie with a runner-up. I have no idea what the tiebreaker looks like. Vince Hoda would have to make the final to win the championship. So granted, there's only 32 cars and like you're worried about four of them, but at least on paper, Lance Abbott wins one round. He makes it really hard on anybody else, right? Um, if Abbott falls in round one, just for simplicity's sake, that would mean that he fails to improve and he locks in his points total at 545. The path for any of the others to pass him. Okay. If Abbott falls in round one, Don Mazir could tie with by advancing to the semifinals. Semifinal loss, they'd be tied. Vince Hoda would pass Lance Abbott by making it to the semifinals. Ed Olpen would have to make it to the final. Richard Okerman would tie with a runner-up. Again, that's assuming that Abbott stages for first round and does not win it, uh, which obviously is the best case scenario for the other four. Um, so yeah, Abbott in in the lead, in control of his own destiny, but um, definitely feeling the pressure. <laughs> like I, You'd obviously feel much better about this if you won a bunch of rounds, but certainly see a few win lights. Um, this thing, especially given how small the class is, again, you're talking one-eighth of the field with a legitimate chance to win the, the championship. Um, yeah, this is anybody's ballgame. I could see this. I could see this going any which way, and top sportsman is going to be must-see at Pomona. Yeah, most definitely. Um, an exciting points chase coming down to the wire with a lot of people having an opportunity, Luke. Uh, that's really cool. I, I, you know, not not rooting against anyone, but definitely been pulling for Don Mazier all season and would love to see Don make this happen somehow. Uh, that would obviously mean bad things for some of the other competitors. So not wishing anything bad to happen to those guys, but um, still pulling from a man, Don Mazier, to pull this thing out somehow, some way. The national points lead did not change hands in stock eliminator. But boy, it got as close as it could get, Big Jed. If our listeners will remember, we talked last week about Cuda. Jimmy Hidalgo Jr., he charged to the quarterfinal at the Vegas national event. 
a week ago to take the lead from Joe Santangelo. As we transitioned into the divisional finale, Santangelo surprisingly didn't make it, didn't, didn't attend Las Vegas. And it's funny, I'll take you back to the conversation that I had a month or so ago. We talked about in St. Louis, Pete Dagnolo told me, I'm not, uh, this is it. I'm, I'm not going any further. Right. And I shared that on the show and you're like, yeah, we'll see. Right. Well, Pete D obviously shows up in Las Vegas that same day. I had a conversation with Joe Santangelo and he's like, ah, this is it. I'm not going any further. And I thought, yeah, right. Like you'll be in Vegas. I really thought just in the way that they told me, I thought Pete was done and I thought Joe would be at Vegas. And as per usual, completely backwards, completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, obviously I was taking a stab at it. I had no inside information, but I, I would have backed your thought that Joe Santangelo was going to show up in Vegas. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, he's had, uh, he's had quite a road to get to this point and to cap this season off with this championship would probably be extra special for Joe. So I really thought he would continue to pursue the, the opportunity to gain points, but obviously um, that, that did not happen as we thought. And we'll see if, uh, see if Cuda can take advantage of it. Yeah. So with Santangelo not attending the divisional, that obviously left it to Brad Burton and Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. to, to duel this out. Now, at the points meet, we mentioned coming in, Cooter was in a, a similar position to what we just described for Lance Abbott. He was in the lead and in control, improving a, a, a lower finish, absolutely in control of his own destiny. Unfortunately for him, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. falls in round one, obviously failed to improve his points total. Brad Burton, meanwhile, rolling through the rounds, advances to round four and was racing for a potential buy run in round five. So that's hanging in the balance as he stages for round four. With by virtue of claiming that buy run, Brad Burton turns on the round four win light. He takes the championship lead going into Pomona. That two round swing puts him over the top. Unfortunately for Burton, he failed to do so. Um, look like both of them down a little bit of speed. Burton ends up four thousandths behind. You could say you give it back, whatever the case may be. He loses the round by four thousandths of a second. So in effect, Brad Burton closed the gap, right? That fourth round appearance helped him. He now trails Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. by 20 points heading into Pomona. That's essentially two rounds. Now, the good news for Burton is coming into Pomona, his obviously everyone's final national event. He's improving a second round loss. And it's at Pomona, a place that Brad Burton has won multiple times, I, at least most uh, glaring in my memory, the, the winter nationals at the start of the year. But it's obviously a facility that's been good to him. Meanwhile, while Burton is improving a second round loss, potentially, Hidalgo has to make it all the way to what will what will probably be the final. Right. He has to win fifth round to improve at all. So despite being 20 points behind. Brad Burton controls his own destiny. If he wins the race, he's your champion, even if he beats Cooter in the final, right? If Hidalgo fails to improve, which again is a high bar, he's working on a fifth round loss. If he fails to improve, Brad Burton has to win round three and he would be your champion. Interesting side note, because there's a lot of possibilities here between the two. If the race were to go seven rounds, and it might, when I looked earlier, I think there were 65 entries. Okay. So if no one breaks, if, if everyone gets on the ladder at 65, that would make it go seven rounds. If it does, a round four loss by Burton would actually tie him for the lead. Okay. If it's a six round loss, just the intricacies of the NHRA point system. If it's a six round race and Burton loses in round four, he would take the lead by a point because you get one bonus point for getting that much closer to the final. So. Round four might not necessarily be the, the barometer. I don't know who would win the tiebreak in that scenario. And just, again, taking that a step further, how big a role, whether or not this race goes six rounds or seven rounds, could potentially play on the outcome of this championship. Let's assume that we get a Brad Burton, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. final round. As I said before, if Burton wins, he wins. If Hidalgo were to beat Brad Burton in the final. Of a six-round race, Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. would be your champion. 
if Jimmy Hidalgo were to beat Brad Burton in the final of a seven-round race, they'd be tied. And again, I have no idea who would win the tiebreaker. In short, the seven-round race, if it goes seven, brings about several potential tiebreak scenarios, which, again, I don't know who would win. My sense is that that would lean Cooter's way, basically because I believe the first tiebreaker is head-to-head, and Cooter had that head-to-head matchup with Burton, which he won in Las Vegas. I think that might end up being the deciding factor. But again, I won't claim to to know exactly how the tiebreaker falls. It's just interesting that if it's a six-round race, there's essentially no scenario in which they could end up tied. If it goes seven, there's a lot of chances where they could end up tied for the championship. Wow. What a breakdown there. That's a, that's an exciting points chase with arguably two of the best that's ever going to do it when it's all said and done. So that'll be a blast to watch play out. Luke, there's not any... Uh, I don't know much about how the points work necessarily. There's no crazy outliers on points for like setting the record in your class or anything crazy like that. You know, I know Pomona can offer some really good air at times. So um, anything like that that could impact the championship? No, there are incentives for that in the professional categories, but everything, at least to my knowledge, in the sportsman categories is simply based on round wins and the typical NHRA structure. Cool. So obviously Brad's goal is to make the final, uh, win the race. Obviously that's your goal every time, but that's where he has to to land to seal this thing off. So I imagine uh, the latter game will get um, will get played significantly at uh, this particular event and make sure that he finds himself opposite uh, Cooter on uh, the other side just to, to make sure he gets the, the clearest path he can get to the final round. Can't wait to see this one play out. Uh, ideally, these two again would match up in, a, in an impactful round and face one another, and I'm sure it would be a, an epic round for both of them so this is going to be fun to to see how it ends up for sure yeah and and to that point like if i'm in hidalgo's shoes here normally i'm one to just say like let that play out however it's going to play out right like if i if i win the race they can't but again here like there is a scenario in which you win the race but you beat the wrong guy in the final and lose the championship like it would it's advantageous for cooter to try to run Burton early. Like if you want this to be in your own hands and at this point who wouldn't um, like, I think there's ladder games on both sides. Cause if you're Burton, you want to put that off if you can, I don't know if that's the sole intent in qualifying, but it's certainly a, a consideration. And if you're Hidalgo, like you're trying to place yourself presumably on the qualifying sheet and on the ladder where you get a shot at Brad Burton before that, you know, round four where it, where he, where it's uh, null and void to some extent. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's going to be many thoughts out of both of those racers trying to figure out how to position themselves, where to position themselves. And those uh, those two in particular can typically land wherever they're trying to land on a ladder. They are that good at manipulating their position. So um, it's a very uh, underrated part of stock eliminator. Yes, it's it's a big part of it for sure. The race before the race is, is going to be as interesting as anything. At the one category that we haven't touched on, not because it's not interesting, not because it's not super engaging, but simply because not much has changed in the last couple of weeks is super gas. There are two competitors that still have an, a shot at the championship at this point. It's Phil Unruh who leads and is certainly the favorite right now. And Bob Locke. Locke is the only competitor who can catch Unruh. Similar to the situation that Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. is in, Phil is in control in the lead, but has to go a bunch of rounds in Pomona to add to his 654 points point total. He's improving a fourth round loss in Pomona. If he improves at all, okay, so that means if he wins round four, he locks out Bob Locke. If he if he wins round four, that would advance into the semifinal round and would clinch the championship for Phil Unruh, even if Locke goes on to win the race. However, if Phil Unruh falls before or in round four, then he fails to improve. And at that point, Bob Locke must make the final round. A runner-up, assuming that Unruh doesn't improve, 
a runner-up by Locke would tie them atop the chairs. And my assumption there, again, the way that I understand and read the tiebreak rules, is that Locke would actually win a tiebreaker because I think he's got at least one more round win to accumulate the same number of points, which, again, kind of an oddity of the NHRA scoring system. But that is the first tiebreaker. I believe Locke would win it in that event. So I'm going to stick to my guns there and say, if Unruh fails to improve, Bob Locke must make the final. Win, he wins outright. Runner-up, I believe he would win on a tiebreaker. Very interesting and super gas as well, but uh, as you said, probably doesn't quite have the drama that some of these other undecided championships have. It could. Tell me that Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) So trivia time, Luke. All right, let's go. Here we go. So if, this is if, obviously, this is not a lock, no pun intended there, but um, if Cooter and Pete Diagnolo win their respective championships in stock and super stock. That will leave every oh, you'd have all first, first-time champions across the board. <laughs> Luke, okay. I'll be first-time champions across the board. Yeah. When was the last time that happened? Of course, this mm-hmm. is excluding the alcohol category. Wow. Okay. I mean... I don't have a good enough memory to to just randomly pull up like, oh, in this year, um, well, wait a second. I was I was gonna say 2020 because it was such an odd year, but Bertozzi won top try extra, so that's out. He he had won a championship prior to that. Okay, so I'm just gonna randomly guess a year because I I, I don't have a specific. Um, let's go. I feel like it's gonna have been a while. Let's go to Langdon won back-to-back in 07 and 08. Let's go with his first one. I mean, 2007. Luke, that was a really good guess, as you always tell me when I don't even get close. (laughs) (laughs) The year pulled from the Wayback Machine was 2013. Oh, okay. That 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 one resonates an, for me. An additional uh, an an addendum to this one, additional bonus points for this one. Who won Super Comp that year? Well, you should give me bonus points because obviously <laughs> I was at the banquet, right? Um, I should be able to tell you everybody that won that year. So thirteen, I, I, that was my first championship. That was I was the Super Comp champion. Rick Beckstrom won Super Gas. Yes. Um. Gosh, I'm getting them mixed up. Um, that w- was that Austin's first championship in stock. Uh, it was not. Oh, okay. Justin Lamb. It was Justin Lamb. Okay, Justin Lamb in stock. A uh, super stock. Dad gummit. The the when I went back in fourteen, it was a who's who. It was it was Rampy and. Peter and Edmund and um so who was it the first year was it Byron Warner it was Byron Warner very good and comp would have been Alan Ellis it was Alan Ellis very good okay all right man you did well that was before that was before top direction top sportsman were nationally contested classes right so that that is correct okay and again we excluded the alcohol categories so 2013 was all first time winners in those five categories and it was yours and justin lamb's first title of your storied careers so that's uh pretty good stuff right there austin's first championship must have been the following year then in 14 must have been yeah, I'm sure. Austin provided this information, and uh, I should have known that. I thought knows. it was such a trick question, and it was right there on the table for me, wasn't it? Austin knows how bad I suck at trivia time, so he he propped me up and gave me an <laughs> opportunity to to win a little bit. So appreciate you, Austin. Good stuff. <laughs> All, All right, right. that wraps up the NHRA stuff again. Good breakdown, and uh, and still with four categories to be determined. Uh, look forward to the next show when we can talk about exactly how this stuff turned out and how it got to where it is. So that's uh, good stuff. We had a little bit of bracket racing, Luke, uh, here in the southeast part of the country. Uh, the the big bucks at uh, Brainerd, what used to be Brainerd Optimist Dragway in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, and at uh, Gleason Raceway Park, which is uh, owned now by Funny Car Chris. 
So uh, yeah. now a uh, um, Brainerd Realist Motorsports Park. Is that what it is? They're, they're not pessimists. Oh, they're optimist and real. Oh, see, I was thinking eyes and I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, longer optimist. Yes, they're not optimists. They're realists. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, so, Luke, uh, familiar names got the, the big wins in uh, Brainerd. A uh, little little country drag strip there in the Chattanooga area, and uh, it was good to see them put on a big race. And it looked like it was uh, it was well attended. But um, had Jason Lynch getting it done for 10K there, getting it done over Bryson Scruggs. How about that? Uh, and all Lynch family final round, pretty cool. Yeah, stuff. JJ's showing out, and then uh, the Richardson boys look like they showed out there, which. No surprise, but uh, the Richards boys, it, it was interesting because the, the two bracket races worth talking about this weekend, both in the state of Tennessee, kind of at opposite ends of the state of Tennessee. And the Richardson boys, as they have a, a propensity to do, they, they, they like to fan out, right? The, I think the idea being, why would we all go to three? Why would all three of us go to the same race? We can't all win. We should go to different races. We could all win. Uh, and apparently makes sense. While in theory that makes sense, like obviously it's difficult to do. It didn't look like it was that hard to do this week. <laughs> no, those boys are bad news. They they post a lot of winter circle pictures between Clarksville and Bowling Green and mm-hmm. Music City, and now anytime they fan out a little bit, they they continue to get it done. That's a that's a heck of a race team right there. At Brainerd, as you had mentioned, back to back ten thousand dollar victories. First for Blake Richardson followed by big brother Ryan Richardson. Meanwhile, uh, across the state at Gleason, Austin Richardson, younger brother, goes to back-to-back no-box finals. He's runner-up in both of them, but those were two $5,000-to-win events. So Team Richardson um, just putting on a show across the state of Tennessee, and and as good as they've all been all season, at least recently, Blake Richardson really showing out. It was a couple weeks prior to that. I was at a race at Gleason, Tennessee, uh, where Blake won a five grander. I believe he and Austin split and quit a five grander at Music City a week or two prior to that. Uh, the team as a whole been on a roll, but particularly old big block Blake. Yeah, old Triple B. He's uh, he's getting it done there. That's uh, that's obviously a talented young man. But seemingly, if your last name is Richardson, that just kind of comes along with uh, with you know, the, the family traits of turning on wind lights. So, uh, really happy to see those boys, the, the RBZ billet gang, they, uh, they're hardworking. They put a lot into racing and, uh, like to, like to see them get some stuff out of it as well. I said, Jason Lynch got the win over Bryson Scruggs in the 10 K that was actually in a shootout that they had there at, uh, Brainerd. He got the 10 K win over Trevor Hayes. Uh, we all know Trevor, the, uh, West coast transplant, Moved to the hills of Tennessee to uh, to marry up Miss Tambra Sweet, and uh, they've got Gearhead Solutions, a little uh, high performance business there in uh, Northeast Tennessee. So happy to see Trevor get that done, and always good to see Catfish turn on uh, turn on a final wind light. He's slowed down a little bit these days, but when he does get out, he makes a lot of noise. He did it at the million, and here he is getting this 10k at Brainerd. So good stuff there. Uh, Saturday. The, the junior category was won by Piper Lynch over Cole Grayson, Matt Grayson's son. And Sunday was Avery Bolding over McKinley Mann. And uh, Ron Lane got the, the Sunday runner-up. Ron doesn't get out much. Surprised he didn't make it to the million. You know, Ron's a, a guy that's won a ton across the land in big money bracket racing. But he slowed down quite a bit as well. But he made it out to his home track to get that 10K runner-up to, to Ryan Richardson there at Brainerd. So good stuff for those boys. And, um, you know, the folks at Brainerd certainly appreciated everybody showing up for their, uh, for their event. And they, they got all their races done, including Thursday shootout. So, uh, that was a really good thing as well. Um, happy to mm-hmm. see, happy to see a, you know, a small, a good, small, well-run racetrack have, uh, have the, the gall to put out a big event for racers to show up and good to see the racers show up. So good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, we talked about how much of a family affair it was for the Richardsons also for the Lynch's like 
JJ runs the table on Friday. Bryson gets involved with the with the runner up. Piper gets involved with the junior dragster win. It's a pretty special weekend for the Lynches as well. And to your point on on Jason, um, he's actually like I don't think a whole lot of people outside of say the the state of Tennessee are necessarily aware of it. But JJ has had a tremendous season, particularly the last few months. Just not venturing a whole lot further away from home. Not as far as you be accustomed to seeing Jason Lynch, but in that area, you could make an argument that there's not a lot of reason to travel. Like those guys can race for five, 10 grand within an hour to a home, just about every weekend at a handful of racetracks. And for the last, at least two, three months, Lynch has been a mainstay in those big dollar final rounds. As you mentioned, highlighted by that deep run in the million dollar race. Yeah, no doubt, Luke. Seemingly, they can race for five thousand or more every week. I, I I feel like Music City's putting on a five grander every week right now. When the uh, hill opens the gate, it's five grand to win. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> lots of good racing around that Nashville area, and within an hour, hour and a half of there, definitely you can race Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, we all talk about the old days when we could go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, if you live in the Nashville area, you can race Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday at Clarksville, Saturday at Music City, and Sunday at Bowling Green and do it for some pretty darn good money. So why would those guys travel? Uh, good stuff and uh, and happy to see that uh, that group of winners. That's a, that's a good bunch of dudes, good families. The other uh, big bucks race from the weekend, as you mentioned, Gleason Raceway Park, that was a uh, host to the CP promotion season finale. And I think the most notable thing from there, which if you're familiar with that area and that racetrack over time, no surprise, but you know, a man by the name of Jansen Melton runs the table, essentially. Um, it was supposed to be four 10-granders. They had some weather Saturday, ended up making it two 10s and a 20. Jansen Melton wins the Friday 10-grander, wins the Sunday 20-grander. And I just saw the the final round live feed and thought, wow, that's pretty wild. Not only did Jansen win, he won it in two different cars. My understanding is that the the Mr. Satellite Corvette that he drove to victory on Friday, he was also driving deep into Elimination Sunday and something broke on the car. He had to swap cars, I believe, for the final, which was allowed. And then he hops in a car basically uh, unproven to win the final round. So pretty impressive stuff from one Jansen Melton. He defeated uh, Rusty Ashmore in that Sunday $20,000 final. He defeated James West. In the Friday $10,000 final, West, by the way, was also runner-up to Scotty Pivot in the Thursday uh, opener. So really good weekend for James West, overshadowed a bit by an incredible weekend from Jansen Melton. Yeah, that was uh, great performances on the top by those guys. And on the bottom bulb side, Luke, it was a, it was a who's who of, of finalists and big winners. Uh, Mitchell Seymour continued an incredible second half of the season with the, the 10K no-box wrap-up win on Sunday over the extremely difficult-to-beat Wesley Lockhart. Uh, everybody knows Wesley doesn't get out and travel a whole lot, but if uh, if you find a race where you're coming to an area that he frequents, uh, you can count on having to go through Wesley to get a, a big win. He's uh He's a bad, bad dude. He also, Wesley also won the Thursday 5K. Kyle Rumley won the Friday 5K on the bottom where you talked about Austin Richardson getting a runner up and both of those uh, lost to some bad dudes. So um, just a all around star studded event there at Gleason. Funny Car Chris again owns the track. Uh, CP Promotions was uh, the promoter of the event and uh, looks like they paid out every, every dime of the purse and, uh, you know, they had a little bit of challenge here and there with weather, I think, and uh, the car count was impacted by that. But those guys stepped up and paid it all out. So congratulations to those winners. And uh, and certainly thank you to Funny Car Chris and CP Promotions for sticking their neck out and putting on a great race for the folks in the Gleason area and, and beyond. So, Luke? It, it, is, uh, it is my understanding that uh, not only – was the the purse paid in full with the with the a bit of a low car count but again my understanding when saturday rained out like it would have been easy to just ditch saturday and run for 10 grand sunday uh, assuming that you're losing money which again if you do the do the math i think they were and they didn't they elected not to do that they rolled the purse over doubled everything ran for 20 on sunday like literally paid out 
everything that they had promised and and probably more than they had to. So like I say, that's my understanding. Uh, if that's the case, like kudos to, to CP and, and I'm sure that uh, funny car Chris played a role in that too. So they're doing really good things at Gleason. It's a, it's a small country track. Uh, it's not far from me and I've been there a couple of times this year, so I can speak of it. It's a, it's a really good time. And, uh, and Chris is doing really good things down there. So I think that, that there's a bright future ahead. Big Jed, I don't want you to uh, to sweep under the rug. I never thought you would miss your Alabama boy, but I think we left out one big winner from Gleason. And that was who? Mitchell Seymour. Well, I said the trip up. It was actually a really cool story. It was at Brody's wedding on uh, on Saturday, right? Yes. I, I You know, I did say that uh, he continued an incredible second half of his season with a 10K win, but he did go to Brody quick and Anna Grace um, quick now. Anna Grace Davis's wedding on Saturday, then heard that the two fives turned into one ten on Sunday. So I think his post said he got up at four or four thirty in the morning and headed to Gleason, probably about a, I guess about a four hour ride from where he is, maybe three and a half. And, uh, obviously made the trip pay off extremely well with uh, his little Chevy too. And again, Mitchell has definitely been on fire this second half of the season uh, he always a great racer, but uh, I guess somewhere around the WFC, Luke, uh, I think Mitchell bought the Chevy two from Greg Hines, uh, took ownership of it. And ever since he, uh, spent the money and invested in his racing program, he's done nothing but return it in big chunks. So really happy to see that from Mitchell. And definitely I, I, I should have given that way more attention since he's from Alabama. So really good catch on your part. Roll Tide. <laughs> that's uh roll tide's a sore subject right now <laughs> <laughs> sorry to bring it up <laughs> yeah we uh we're struggling a little bit but you know this is a good time just to end this one i mean we go tigers no no sense <laughs> no sense in talking football any farther <laughs> so that wraps us up guys hope you enjoyed the show definitely a lot of good stuff on both the nhra side and the bracket side looking forward to luke's breakdown of how these championships played out next week but for now, we're done. Um, I, and I, I got to express just a little bit of disappointment in, in our listeners. Um, you know, I thought last week had some cool stuff in it and some things that people could chime in on. Uh, definitely talk about, you know, where the, the millions should go out of the, the list that we gave you or, you know, if there was somewhere else and just other stuff that I thought you could talk about. And I think there was one post, one comment on our post. Our listeners are better than that. So I'm expecting you guys to step up and just come in with more stuff to say this week about things we talked about here on the show. That's our way of really knowing you're out there. So we need to hear from you. And uh, and certainly we do that at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, post on our post right there for everybody to see publicly. Or you can uh, send us a private message and producer Marco snag that up. So comment to us. Let us know what you think about the show and, and some of the things that we talked about and where you differ or agree, whatever the case may be. Luke, what about some shouts? Yeah, shouts to Bob Locke. Just the play on words, right? Will Bob lock it up this weekend? Will Bob get locked out? You have to stay tuned to Pomona. Shouts to the Crimson Tide, the Tigers, the dogs. Go dogs. Heck, why not? Shouts to the Buckeyes. Let's get them all out there. Shouts to Big Block Blake. Shouts to Trivia Time. Good one. (laughs) Shouts to A-Dub. Thanks, Austin. Shouts to Pete Dagnolo, Joe Santangelo for one of you lying to my face and the other me just assuming you're lying to my face. Maybe I'm wrong on both counts. Good stuff. We don't usually shout anybody out for lying to us, but you know, it's special times call for special measures. So I, is it, it's not a lie if you believe it in the moment. I mean, it, it wound up being a lie, but I, I'm not really calling Pete D out for that. I think when he told me that he had no intentions of going anywhere else, certainly not driving to Las Vegas, but he did. And right now I bet he's really glad that he did. I would say for now, he definitely is uh, definitely gave himself a shot, which was the mission. All right, guys, uh, certainly if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, Luke and I are on the Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. 
And we can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more sportsman drag racing. Shouts to Elon, making Twitter great again. <laughs> Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>